The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, I have a special guest, a new friend of mine, G.P. Walsh. G.P. is known as the Irreverent Sage. He's an author, a speaker. He's a spiritual teacher. Some people call him a guru, and that's when they're being nice. Um, he leads workshops. He teaches meditation. He coaches um, Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 executives. He is quite the interesting guy, and you're going to find this next hour really fun. GP, welcome to Leading Conversations. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you. It's so, so great to be here. It is wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. So where are you today? I'm in uh, Miami Beach. I'm sitting in my office uh, overlooking the ocean, actually. Oh, nice. Nice. Must be getting warm, spring moving into summer. Yeah, it's actually hot, hot and uh, and muggy. It's it's not when you live by the coast. It's actually not too bad. You just go a mile inland, and it gets and it gets brutal. But yes, it's it's beginning to heat up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and and that's just kind of a metaphor for your life, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you picked right? you pick right up on that. You're there quick. you go. <laughs> so, GP, let's let's introduce you to our audience. Um, people uh, may not know a lot about you. I have been fascinated as I've been learning more about you and experiencing you face to face, and um, and reading um, some of your writing. And I, I just find who you are and how you show up in the world such a gift and so fun and profound in so many ways. Um, and so I want, I want us to, you know, kind of understand how you got to where you are today. And I know that, um, you know, if we go way, way back to your childhood, you had a very interesting experience as a kid that um, kind of set things in motion for life. Why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of interesting experiences as as a kid because uh, uh, my 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 father was just kind of absent, and my mother was uh, was basically emotionally ill. Um, she was, you know, mm-hmm. fair, fairly functional, and you know, I was born in 1952, and you know, middle class folks, you know, there was no there was no psychological help uh, for. Uh, right. As you know, middle middle regular regular folks, 
let alone um, an even diagnosis, right? I mean, and so, uh, you know, I think the re- the event you're referring to is uh, the, the first uh, event I remember of my life, which is waking up, hanging upside down on the side of the crib, having a crib, having just banged my head against the, si- the side of it um, because my mother didn't like the fact that I could crawl out of the crib and walk around, so she tied me into it. And... Mm. Um, and she actually did that consistently for the next four years. Um, so it, it, it left a, a huge emotional scar, not, uh, needless to say. Um, and at the same time, um, an, an incredible desire to fuel what was already a natural curiosity of mine, which is mm-hmm. how things work, how do people work, what, you know, what is, how do we know what's true? Um, I had all sorts of kind of, uh, unusual experiences, psychic experiences and intuitive experiences when I was very young. I used to fall into samadhi just spontaneously. Um, or I was just, you know, it's just total awareness, total focus, completely, uh, present with zero emotional, uh, response. All the response triggers of the nervous system had been shut down. So there's like this mm. just absolute awareness and perfect peace. Um, and it was such a contrast between that and the, the life in which I was being raised because it was nothing but chaos. It was nothing but, um, you know, disorganization. My mother was, you know, borderline schizophrenic, borderline psychotic. And so you never quite knew who was going to show up. You know, there was, there was no feeling of safety or anything like that. And I, I think it really kind of drove home, uh, the, the, the sense of urgency, which I still have to this day, even though I've worked through the material from that time and I've, uh, and I've had uh, an enormous amount of inner freedom that, uh, that has resulted. I've just never really forgotten what it means to suffer profusely. And my, my whole mission in life is to alleviate suffering. I want to rid the world of suffering, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I know, I know it's delusional, but it's, a, you know, it's a nice one, right? I mean, if you're going to have a delusion, <laughs> have a delusion make it big. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you'll always have uh, job security. So, um. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's a, it, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, but I'm making inroads, you know? One person at a time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I always find that um, you know those moments in our childhood that may be oh disquieting or um, confusing or in some way significant really do set a path for us, even if we don't know it then, right? And so, you know, you you also had an experience um, where you had trouble seeing. Oh, yeah. Seeing, physically seeing, right? That's correct. That's correct. Tell yeah, us I was about born, that. Well, I was born quite nearsighted. So um, I, I couldn't really see anything unless it was, like, right in front of me. Um, but, of course, you don't, you don't know. Actually, I have a little friend now. Uh, uh, some friends of mine have this beautiful two-year-old girl who has the same the same problem. She's very nearsighted, and I have to get very close to her before she realizes who it is. And her and I have become really, really close friends. And it's been really, really interesting to watch her. Uh, and she's right at the age, about the age where you know, I had where I got t- started. They started tying me into the bed. 
Um, but before that, I, I, one, of the, <laughs> one of the advantages of it is that I can see in the dark. My eyes are, my eyes are really? very... To this day, I can sit in almost no light and read. My wife will walk in and go, what are you doing? And, and it's to this day. Um, I can I can do that. So for me, I would get up in the middle of the night and wander around. It was like a level playing field, right? Right, right. <laughs> everybody, else, everybody else would be stumbling, and I would and I would uh, I would just I would just be fine. Um, and so I just got so used to it that that um, that uh, it was just kind of kind of ignored. And my you know my parents weren't right. Like, weren't that observant anyway. So it was actually somebody in the school who noticed that I couldn't see, um, and when I like first grade. So I, I walked around like that for for the first six years, six years of my uh, of my life. So um, <laughs> one of the things that I talk about in the the book, especially the one I'm writing now, is I, is I use the term "look closer," which for me was just the reality. Mm. You know, I had to look closer. I never actually saw anything, and uh, it's kind of been kind of become kind of a uh, a metaphorical theme to uh, yeah. running running through my running through my life. So right. I, I had to really look th- at things a very different way. It also trained my ear. I became very. Mm. To sounds, and of course, I became a musician, a composer. I used to do voice acting, voices for radio and TV, and uh, and video, even video games, all sorts of character voices and that sort of thing. So um, it really trained, uh, trained, uh, trained my ear as well. But you know, the point you make is really, really, really well taken. And if if we look at these things just from the point of view of this ideal, perfect life we all want to have. Yeah. Then these things look horribly, horribly cruel and unnecessary. Um, but if you look at it from the point of view of what comes out of it when you actually transform it, um, I look back on, on that period of time and I look at with enormous amount of gratitude. I, I don't see it as as having been as having been abused. You know, I, I see it as that you know, for whatever reason, this particular series of events was necessary for me to get to here. And I'm really yeah. happy that I'm here. So what am I supposed to do? Complain, complain about it? Because a different, you know, anything changed in that past, and and I could be a completely different person. I could be in a completely mm. different place. This wouldn't have happened. So every moment, however horrendous it may look from the, from our our normal sensibilities, serves a very deep purpose. It's that's a hard thing to grasp. You know, as I'm getting on in years, it becomes easier. <laughs> you know, I, I guess that. <laughs> more of a sense of equanimity about it, and I realized that you, you know, I really wouldn't have changed anything about it, and mm-hmm. and there's just this incredible forgiveness. You know, my parents were just automatons; they were programmed. They didn't have access to what I eventually had access to. They they didn't have anybody to say, you know what, this is this is this is not necessary. It's screwed up. Do you realize what you're doing? You're just acting out the same old patterns. They had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. they were just they were just reacting like robots, and everybody was reacting the same. Nobody else. So there was no sense that there was anything different. And when I when you realize that, when you realize that the people are just acting out their their, their programmed responses of which they have not yet become conscious, there's this enormous feeling of forgiveness that wells up. Because mm-hmm. you, can, you can find them innocent. Mm-hmm. There was not an intention. Nobody had an intention to brutalize right. me. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, they, and, 
when I when I think of that, and I think of the concept of look closer, and you you know contrast that time, uh, you know, where your parents were doing the best they could do, and today, where everybody spends a lot of time looking closer, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, you you point out that. Um, in some ways, sometimes we spend way too much time looking closer, um, and and that you know a lot of people are what is sometimes called spiritual junkies or self help junkies, or you know just keep trying to figure themselves out, right? And keep coming up saying, well, I, I, when am I going to get it? When is it going to be done? When am I going to be fixed? Or, you know, whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so so on one hand, there's no awareness of that. On the other hand, we have a lot of awareness today, and yet it's not always satisfying. So what's oh, that? Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Thank you for asking that question. Because ultimately we have to look close enough to find that the answer isn't intellectual, it's not conceptual, it's not in your mind at all, it's in your heart. There's a level of surrender to the wisdom of things that is required. Once that happens, your perceptions begin to shift automatically. We're looking for the answer to a problem, and that is the problem. We're starting from the premise that we're broken, we're messed up, everything's everything everything is bad, and I've somehow I've got to find this thing, this technique, this insight, this this principle that's going to fix me. But if you start from the point of view of you're broken, how can you possibly get anything other than more stuff to make you feel broken? One of the biggest insights I had, it happened when I was nineteen years old, it just knocked my socks off. It uh, healed me of my drug addictions, was the discovery of that pure innocence that's never been touched. Mm. You're not How did you broken. Do that? Sorry? How did you do that? How did you do that? Um, well, it takes a minute to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. happy to tell the, tell the story. I, 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 love, I love to tell it. I'll try to give the shortest version I possibly can. How, my, how much time do we have before we have to break? Four minutes. Four minutes. Okay. Um, uh, as I said, I was, I was addicted to drugs. I started doing drugs when I was 15. You know, a young musician, I got, you know, my home life was horrible. By the time I was 12, I was out on the street all the time. I was a bit of a juvenile delinquent, um, uh, you know, picked up by the police and all, all sorts of nasty stuff. I was, I was, yeah. not, a, I was not a particularly good kid. Um, my, the saving grace was music. I, was, I just fell in love with music, and I, and I met some other guys who were equally into music and equally talented. We started playing. We were a pretty good band, but of course I got, became a drugged out uh, hippie. Um, and at 19 years old, um, I, I was just a, I was just a, a, a wreck. I mean, uh, even my best friend told me to go away. He couldn't stand to be around me. I was just so horrible mm-hmm. to be with. Never met anybody so negative his entire life. So my best wow. friend, my best friend says, "Go away." So I was just mm-hmm. kind of like completely isolated, alone. I got this job playing in a rock and roll band, a beer band in Wisconsin. 
at that time, it was 1971, um, uh, pre-disco, you could actually make a living because the, in Wisconsin, the legal drink, drinking age for beer was 18. And so there were all these beer bars all over Wisconsin. Um, and so you could make a meager living as, and as a rock and roll band going from bar to bar mm-hmm. playing, playing in the clubs. And, you know, I'm at wit's end. You know, I'm, I'm just a wreck. I'm sleeping on the floor. Um, I've, you know, I, I've got nothing. Everything I own is sitting in the room, which is not, other than my drum set was a couple of pairs of pants. Um, and, and I'm just desperate. I know I've got to change. I know I've got to go off this, but I'm just absolutely helpless. So one night, I'm sitting around, and when we're not playing, we're sitting around getting stoned. Of course, that's what we always do. And this hashish from India, it was, um, uh, if you don't know what hashish is, it's a refined form of marijuana. It's very, in, very intense. Um, and I got really stoned, and out of nowhere came this feeling of terror that I, oof, I just cannot even begin to describe it. My throat oh. tightened up, and I couldn't breathe. My heart was pounding out of my chest. My head was throbbing, and I couldn't move my body. It just refused to re- refused to obey any of my instructions. Uh, everybody's faces were distorted. It was hell. I was just absolutely in hell. I thought I was dying, and I was saying, "God, I hope so." And that, and I'm sitting there in this state, without all of a sudden, without any warning. Without any intention on my part, my body gets up, walks out, and starts walking. I have no control over it. I'm totally on autopilot. I walk for about 30 or 45 minutes. And, and equally, without any control, it stopped and turned to the right. And I found myself standing on a bridge, looking down into a horribly polluted river. Now, it wasn't, the bridge wasn't so high that I could like jump. I, you know, I just would have gotten wet, right? I mean, it wasn't that kind of, it wasn't that kind of bridge. Yeah. I mean, it's just like maybe 10 feet off the water. But I'm saying that it smelled, it was, you know, this had been one of the most beautiful rivers in the country. And it was almost dead. And as I sat there looking, looking down there, I suddenly had some control again, and I just started to rant. Just all this anger and hatred and grief and all this stuff just kept started pouring out of me. And I was, everything was horrible. And what did they? Everything we've done to this, 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 this beautiful river, we just completely, totally corrupted it. And I had done the same thing to myself. I just ruined every opportunity. At 19 years old, it was over. I didn't deserve another chance. I was just, oh, God, it just went on and on and on. Well, finally, in the middle of this tirade, I hear a voice. And the voice says, look closer. The voice was so powerful and so loud and had so much authority behind it that I actually stopped. And I looked it down into the water. I said, I, what? I don't see anything. And the voice said, look closer. Look really close. And so I, I put all of my attention there. I just focused everything I could onto that, into that water. And suddenly I found myself beginning to shrink. 
I was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And next thing I knew, I was in the water, and I kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So finally, I was so small, I was just suspended in space, and I, was, I could look around, and I could see all of the molecules suspended in space. And the voice said to me, look at the molecules. Look at the water. Look at the water. And I looked, and it was clear. There was the water, and there was all these, these um, molecules of the pollutants. It says, the water hasn't been touched, has it? And it was like, wow, no, it hasn't. It said, the pollutants are there, but it isn't bonded with the water. I said, no, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. And it said, and if there was a, there was a process that could separate those two, we'd had have, we'd have the exact same pure water we always had, wouldn't we? And I said, yes. And then the voice said, Greg, that's you. I get choked up every time. I can't tell the story yeah. I get choked up. Yeah, it's powerful. It was like the top of my head just got torn off. Just all this light just flooded me. The next thing I know, I'm standing back on the bridge again. I'm, I'm just standing in this incredible clarity, this un, inutterable peace, and probably for the first time in my life, I felt loved. Mm. Mm. Over the next six months, everything changed. I got out of the band. The drugs fell away. Smoking fell away. Everything fell away. I was back in school. I was getting A's. And one of my classes, uh, the um, music theory class, the teacher said after half the semester, he said, I can't teach you anything. You know too much. Go away. Go. Go. And I'll give you an A for the semester. You go right. Wow. Just everything was was transformed in that moment. And my life's work became very clear, finding the process by which the pollutants are separated from the pure, pristine, which I now call the the innocent self, the the, the, the original innocence that has never, ever been touched. And in starting from that premise, I started to build a practice. I started to build uh, ideas and techniques and apply various kinds of stuff as, as a, and, and began to discover how this actually happens. How does the muck get created? How do the pollutants get created? Where do they come from? How do they get put in place? And it turns out it's, they're really not pollutants at all. They're the natural way that the nervous system responds to the environment in order to protect us. And the only problem is we've identified with the identity that the nervous system has created as a measure of self-protection rather than the original innocence that is actually who we are. Oh, boy, Greg. <laughs> this is very intense. This is, this is so amazing. So we identify with the pollutants rather yeah. than the innocence. Yeah. I love it. So we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. Hold that okay. thought. And okay. when we come back, we're going to pick up right where we're leaving off. We'll be right back. Okay.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with my very special guest today, G.P. Walsh. G.P., you just told us a profound story, and you ended by saying that part of what happens for us as human beings is we identify with the pollutants and the pain and the suffering in ourselves rather than identifying with the pure innocence of who we are and who we came into this world as. And I don't believe I've ever heard it stated more clearly, more clearly. What an amazing, what, what a deeply transformative, as you say, transformative experience that you've described. So, so you come out of that and you see that and you go to school and you do all this stuff and, Things, life has more ease and excitement, and and do you have any questions in your mind about how did this just happen? <laughs> I mean, oh, you, you know, you, you you know what happened in terms of the the moment, but you know, this is kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not your everyday experience, and. You know, it's it's not like, you know, this juvenile delinquent, you know, was destined to be a sage, right? I mean, it wasn't really that apparent, you know. I was not born a Buddha. Yeah. There were no wise men that showed up at my nativity. <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I have to say that while 
it was a flash in that instance, you know, just all sorts of things. My life shifted forever, and mm-hmm. and I, I went on a completely different track. There was two parts to the revelation. One was the original innocence, which which has never left me since the moment it happened. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the world could could ever convince me otherwise of of that. However, there was a second half of it. Remember the that that. If you discover the process by which to separate the two, you'll have the same pure water you always did. So mm-hmm. while the, that moment was a flash, an absolute moment of grace that could not be caused by anything, and God, and I have no idea why it happened, except that it was, this is what, you know, this is the truth about all of us, so it's got to happen at, at some point. Um, but the the last 40 years I've spent just trying to figure out that process. And, mm. and it, in the process, I've made some incredibly stupid mistakes that have cost me dearly. And it was in those mistakes that I learned how this thing actually works. How the process happens, how the muck actually gets created, and how the act of identification takes place. And well, so that, what, what's an example of, of one of those mistakes? Uh, oh, when I'm at the state, well, my, my, my whole first marriage, <laughs> um, you know, you know, getting, getting married, I was, I was very, very susceptible at that point, very, very naive, right? I, I, I mean, needless to say, up to that point, I had a lot of psycho, I had a lot of emotional issues, especially around women, because my relationship with my mother, so women terrified the hell out of me. Mm. Um, and so I, and so I was, it was very easy, easily manipulated as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I, you know, I was completely aware of this original innocence, one of the things that, as I saw it everywhere, I saw it in everyone, and I was completely unprepared to deal with the, with the nature of the muck, with the nature mm-hmm. of the, the aggressive nature of our identification of things. You know, not everybody has your best interests at heart. And, um, I really got uh, uh, taken advantage of and, and worked over. It cost me a lot of opportunities, cost me uh, a, a great deal. Um, but in the process, little by little, I began to discern all of this stuff. You've got to remember, this is also, you know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. This happened to me in 1971. I mean, A Course in Miracles wasn't published until 1976, right? So what? There was no information about this stuff. There was right, no right. There was no Wayne Dyer or Deepak Chopra. They they didn't exist yet. You know, the, 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 I think there were like three self help books in the in, in the in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the entire the entire genre, the industry, didn't exist. There was very very little information um, uh, available. So I was really flying blind. And it just took me a very long time to really discern what the actual nature of the muck was. That, that it was, in fact, this process of the nerve, the natural process of the nervous system to create a sense of identity out of absolutely nothing in order to protect you from the environment. It's absolutely brilliant. 
Let me let me let me see if I can explain it in, in, to, so everybody can understand it. Take the, a familiar example. You're you know everybody gets born into a family, and whether the family is just horrible and abusive towards you, or whether they're really really nice and they love you, not everything you do is going to be acceptable to them. Correct. Cer- certain of our natural behaviors, and they are completely right. natural and innocent, are going to earn the disapproval of your tribe. Mm. It's absolutely inevitable. Now, from the point of view of you're a little person, you have no ability to discern, uh, you, you, you can't even talk yet, right? Right. And, and your nervous system is already mapping the territory to know what's going to get you what you need and what isn't. Right, and so it, it, it and it's doing it spontaneously and 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 turning it into automatic behavior. So if there's something you do and it's very natural, very much you, but it meets with disapproval or worse, the nervous system goes, "Whoa, that can't happen!" Off it goes, off to the side, and that behavior gets replaced with a, fo- a fictitious behavior that will bring you get you out of the environment what you need. Now that part of you that's just been sent to the basement may be the very best part of you. But it can't come out. Now, as the, as the system develops, the whole energy system develops, it maps perfectly the territory. It knows exactly what to present, what's allowed out, what isn't, what's fictitious, and what little bit of what's real does is allowed to get out. And then it cre- does magic. It creates a sense of identity out of that. And it starts saying, I am this. This yeah. is who I am. I'm not that. Now, it's completely fictitious, right? But, but as far as the nervous system is concerned, it's real. This is who I am. Right. And that's the point of identity that I'm talking about. That's the point where we lose touch with, the, with our original innocence, and we literally put on this costume and forget that it's a costume. Mm. And now, oh, yeah. we don't have access to all of our natural gifts and talents and powers and mm. stuff. We get to be adults, mm. we go, what's the matter? Why, why do I keep doing this? Why can't I? I know I know. Why can't I do this? And that's why, because it's not accessible to you. Yeah. And to try to get access to it is to trigger the nervous system into fear. Because even you, this is, this is probably one of the biggest things that I, I, I realized working, working on this, is that... The reason why most of the time self-help, personal development stuff fails, why we do stuff over and over again, and we're running from, you know, we're on the we're on the self-help treadmill, right? Where we're right. running to thing to thing to see what's going to work. The reason why is because the moment you take the uh, you take the position that I'm going to now fix the system, I'm going to change the system and make it better. You're doing to yourself exactly what was done to you in the first place that caused. The, the emotional oh. and your nervous system is perfectly defended against it. You literally trigger the defense mechanisms against yourself when you take that is that I'm brilliant. going to fix it, right? Which means, and here's the punchline, folks: there's only one thing that it has no defense for. Only one. Unconditional love. Mm. To 
love it as it is, to completely accept it exactly the way it is. There's no defense for that. The system Hmm. feels safe. The defenses come down. That energy that was trapped begins to move. It begins to come out a little bit to see if it's still safe. If you can maintain that, the system heals itself. Well, this is amazing. So, uh, I, can, I can't even speak. So, yeah, I, I'm so, my mind goes in like 10 different directions. So, one question I have is, so this is happening and I'm saying, okay, so I'm not going to fix myself. I'm just going to love what is. I'm going to love what is. I accept it. I accept me for all my foibles and, you know, all my greatness and et cetera. And I then start getting a lot of feedback from those around me. So here mm-hmm. I am, somebody who's decided I'm going to, you know, give up the um, striving to be better. Mm-hmm. And You've already made the first mistake. You've already made the first mistake. Notice your intention is to change it. Uh, Wow. Look, this, This you know, your cerebral cortex, yeah, it's very subtle. Your cerebral cortex, the thinking part of you, the the part that's capable of actually symbolic representation is like 100,000 years old. We've actually been really identifiably human for 10,000 years. The rest of the nervous system that's actually controlling this process, 400 million years old. Mm. So if there's an argument, who do you think is going to win? Right. <laughs> yeah, the one who uh, helps the bottle. <laughs> all millions of years, yes. <laughs> yes. Right. <clears throat> it can smell the intention to fix a million miles away. Mm. This, this requires a complete retraining of our relationship to ourselves. I call it allowing. And I actually have a whole course you can go through that starts with basic body awareness of simply being present with what you feel without any intention to change it. And so that means also without judgment about what it is, right? Absolutely. You've got no agenda. You've got no judgment. Nothing. All of the get, get that gets replaced by a curiosity as to what's actually here. At first, it's just uncomfortable. You're even going to notice that your motivation to control it, to fix it, will be there. So you go, ah, okay, I'm going to allow that too. There it is. I understand it. Your mind will go off into things. It'll narrate. It'll do judgment. It'll do all sorts of things. And you go, thank you very much. I don't need you right now. And you just feel whatever you're feeling. It's probably the first time in your entire life you've actually just allowed yourself to accept yourself as you are. With no prerequisites, no agenda, not even an attempt to fix it. People are amazed. I go through entire classes and I work with people. Never once do I ever say anything about fixing. What's there? What does this energy want? What's it protecting you from? Why does it feel this is important? And I literally speak to these energies, these voices within us. I literally speak to them, and they respond. 
and so how does one stay out of the mind of this? Um, it's very simple. Oh, it's it's so dreadfully simple. Um, I'm, I have a perfect record so far. Everyone who's tried to meditate for the first time, who tried years and have always failed, I can't get the quiet mind. I can I, I get them there in ten minutes. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. It's so easy. Here's the trick. The mind exists in the past and the future. That's it. Your mind is nothing but thoughts coming from the past or projections into the future. That's all it is. Yeah. It's yeah. a thing. It's just a collection yeah. of Your body, on the other hand, is always right here, right now. Yeah. It's never in the past or future. Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I hungry? Am I, am I scared? It's all right now. Yes or no? They're all yes or no questions. So if you're, yeah. the more attention you have on your body and the kinesthetic sense of your body, the less attention is on your mind. And you literally slip into the present, and the mind doesn't exist in the present. Mm. The mind mm. is nothing but a thought from the past. That's all it is, a collection of thoughts. It's not a thing, this terrible thing out there generating thoughts trying to mess up your life. There's no thing there. It's just the natural right. thought of the system to generate thoughts. And you say, thank you very much. I don't need you right now, and you keep your attention on the body, the mind will go, oh, it doesn't need me. And it, is, it goes quiet all by itself. Because it's not needed in the present. Yeah, I love this. You know, when I work with executives, um, <clears throat> part of what I do with them is to help them get in touch with their body sensations. And to, it's a way of teaching presence, right? Just like you described. And well, I find it fascinating how curious they are about this. You know, people say, oh, you know, that's just all woo woo, and, you know, executives will never want to do that. And I say, oh, yes, they do. <laughs> oh, yes, they yes. do. And so I can imagine how. You know, you, you've really done a good job of taking something that is so far out there and distilling it down to, you know, how can anybody do this, understand this without having a deep spiritual practice or really understanding, um, you know, without having any sense of um, history in this work or, you know, you have right. said, you know, everybody can do this, right? Anybody I mean, that, that's quite an accomplishment there. Well, uh, gee, I, I really wish I'd give myself a big pat on the back, but the reason why it works for everybody is because it's our own nature. That's all we're doing. You, yeah. you, you, original innocence is your nature. That's yeah. why you can recover it. If it wasn't, you wouldn't be able to recover it. it right. we'd all, we all would really be robots. We'd be programmed, and would there be nothing we could do about our conditioning. But, of course, <laughs> if that was the case, it, it wouldn't bother us either. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just complete, you know, the ant doesn't have identity crises. <laughs> it, Are you, you know, sure? It just, it, just does, it just does its ant thing, right? 
But it, it is the fact that there is an, a budding awareness, this original innocence that exists within all of us for all times that will not go away. Mm. And, and it's simply a matter of turning your attention towards it. It's, it really is that simple. If you turn your attention towards it, and, and you, it, it immediately gets your attention. What is, what is love? I mean, does love run away from stuff, or does love move closer? I mean, uh, this is really very fundamental. Yes, it's mystical. Yes, it's way, way out there. It's about as deep as you can possibly get, but it is also incredibly ordinary. It's, this is just what we actually are. This is what human beings are. I love it. And so, you know, we, our mind, we spend so much time overcomplicating everything. So on that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> we will be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with GP Walsh today. So GP, you have totally blown my mind, but then my mind doesn't exist, so it doesn't really matter. So <laughs> That's the ultimate mind-blowing. There you go. <laughs> um, so, and, and my body's happy, so there you go. Um, you know, you have the, this um, concept that you have discerned, which I find fascinating, and it is the concept of how our mind takes a concept or a belief, and that actually gets programmed into us, and that we 
hang on to that so deeply. Can you you explain to us what that is? Yeah, I'd love to. And it's actually the other way around. Uh, The mind comes later. The mind actually builds thoughts and abstractions and concepts of what in fact has already taken place, which is why I refer to, rather than using the word belief, I use the word energetic assumption. When you're, when you're a child, the, the world of your tribe, your, your immediate family and, and, and grows, you know, your community and the like, is the whole world, right? Yeah. So the, your, the, what you experience within the environment, uh, in that environment, to you, is how things are. Mm-hmm. Not just how they are here, but how they are. This is reality. This is how it all works. And, mm-hmm. and that's that becomes an energetic assumption as to the nature of reality. And it is within that assumption that the identity gets created. It's within that assumption that all the abstractions and concepts that will later become your mind get created. So your mind is given birth, is simply creating thoughts about that. It actually comes Mm -hmm. way later in the process. Uh, uh, so, So that energetic assumption is the fundamental picture you have of reality. And, believe, and remember, it's put into place before you can talk, before you can think. These are pre-language. pre-language. So oftentimes, uh, discerning these, these assumptions has to go beyond language. Um, a lot of times, it's just, uh, I, what I go do is, first place I look for are sensations in the body and where they occur in the body. So if you present somebody with an idea, let's take a common affirmation, you know, I, I easily and effortlessly make, you know, $100,000 a year. I'm so happy that I easily make $100,000 a year. That's, that'd be a common mm. assumption in the visualization crowd, right? Right. Now, our, our, normal, our normal way of dealing with that is, okay, I'm going to just keep holding on to that doggedly until it's my truth, right? In the meantime... Right. Your nervous system is going haywire because you're directly conflicting with an energetic assumption. So what I do instead is I'll have somebody visualize that and I go, okay, I want you to ask your nervous system if there are any objections to that. Mm. And they'll go, yeah, I have this really strange feeling. What is it? And where is it? And they'll tell me it's located somewhere in the, in the body. Um, and... The, um, I use the, the, the actually the, the chakra system as a way of, of getting, giving me a clue as to what that part of the body represents. Mm, so, you know, somebody, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I don't really I don't teach it the normal way. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> by, by any means, they're not these pretty little spinning vortexes of light. They're actually aspects of consciousness. They're energy. They're intelligent centers. So if, if somebody's getting, if somebody is saying something like, you know, I easily, I effortlessly and easily make $100,000 a year, I'm so happy that I'm doing that, and they get, a, and they're having attention in their solar plexus, right, right around, the, or not their solar plexus, right in their stomach, in their navel, right? That means that probably there is either an assumption or a vow about being able to give yourself, be able to state your needs and be able to have your needs met. If you had an experience as a young child where it was dangerous to even ask for things, which was my experience, I didn't even ask any. I just stopped asking, right? Because it was just dangerous. Right. Even right. My, 
every, every request I made would be shamed. I shouldn't even want anything like that. So there was no freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, if that's the case, if I try to affirm something about getting the things that I want, I'm immediately going to feel that reaction right down there in my gut because there's a part of me that says, it's dangerous to even think that. Now, all the visualization in the world isn't going to undo that. Right. But what will undo that is to go right directly to that energy and say, tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me what you're protecting me from. And if you do that consistently and lovingly, the entire story will unfold to you. It will tell you exactly what happened. It will give you a clear picture, maybe in words, maybe in sounds, maybe in, maybe in images. But it will show you exactly what happened and why it's not safe to have this. And now you can begin what I call inner reconciliation. You can begin to reconcile with this energy and say, okay, what do you need in order for me for this to be safe? In order for me to make this progress and you feel safe, what do you need? And now I engage it. And I just keep working, have conversations with it. And eventually it goes, okay, well, if you'll do this, then I'll just open it up a little bit and we'll let a little bit happen and we'll see what happens. So and what, would always, be an example, what, would, what would be an example of what that energy would say about, you know, making bargaining, essentially, right? If you do this, then, you know, maybe I'll try it. So what, what would yeah. be an example? Well, the, uh, one of the examples, I had, I had somebody who um, uh, was working on a, on, a, on a product. They wanted to double their income. Um, and, you know, it, was just, it just wasn't happening. So when we did this, we found the energy. It was in that, that part of the body. We spoke to the energy, and it says, I don't want to work that hard. And we discovered that there was a very mm-hmm. concrete assumption that to be wealthy, you had to work really hard. Oh, wow. Wow. So I spoke to it, and I said, okay, I agree. You know what? In this case... This wasn't, this wasn't resistance to my, to, my, uh, to my goal. That's what most people right. think of resistance, get rid of it. This was the voice of wisdom. You're damn right I don't want to. If I, if I don't want to work 20 hours a day, what the point? Right. <laughs> the, the energy was right. So I said, oh, okay. So what do we have to do? So we came up with a different goal, a different uh, way of, a different picture of what it might be like. And the energy said, yeah, I'm good with that. Boom. And what was that? These, what was that? What did? What could that look like? Well, oh, what was that, that, the the actual strategy? Well, it was simply it was simply this. Okay, I know that this is a habit I have. I'm always thinking like that, and I'm always taking on more than I should. So here's the deal. I know you're powerful. I know you can shut me down whenever you need to, and I give you permission to do that. So when I start to do something that's going to over-obligate me, I want you to make me feel it right here. Wow. And said, okay. And that's exactly what happened. That is fascinating. How powerful. How beautiful. How powerful. Because, remember, it does hold all the cards. If anybody's ever done the help-up work and had a problem that just won't go away, you realize it holds all the cards. It can shut you down. And it thinks what you're trying to do with all your self-help work is to get rid of it. And for a lot of people, we are. Right? Believe me, you don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. 
right. Because it's a protection, right? Yeah, it is there just for a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without it, we'd all just be walking off buildings and walking out in front of cars and stuff. Uh, I mean, we have to we have to realize that this is a natural functioning of the system, and, and it's just been over functioning because of a very real danger that existed in the past. Remember, none of this yeah. is imaginary. Something really did happen, or this programming yeah. did not. Yeah. Put in place. The system is not stupid. It doesn't create problems for itself. So there's something very real that did happen to cause it to make this assumption about the nature of things that it is now protecting you from. This is your friend. Mm. I love this. And, and so, you know, I'm really going to start paying attention to my friend. <laughs> I'm going to start paying yeah. attention to my brand more, you know, intellectually. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the chakras, and we can't go into them in depth. But basically, I use it simply there's seven different kinds of energies that all are arguing for different kinds of things within us. There's always going to be a part arguing for safety. There's another part arguing for what it desires, another part arguing for the sense of self, another arguing for relationship, another part arguing for communication. They're just different aspects of consciousness, all of which have an important function. And you are the master painter sitting in the middle of this beautiful array of energy. And when it's all freed and all functioning the way it is, you get to, write, you get to draw your masterpiece. Mm. I love it. So, GP, I know people are going to want to know more about you and this work. How can they get in touch with you? Um, GPWalsh.com. Couldn't get any easier. That's my main site. Um, GPWalsh.com, W-A-L-S-H. Um, if they want to learn more about the, the body awareness exercise, they can, get a, they can get the body awareness exercise for free at JustAllowIt.net. Um, and I'm actually going to be teaching a class on meditation coming up. I've got a class coming up on the chakras, and I also have a master class coming up in May. And um, you can find out about those at masterheartinstitute.com. D.B. Walsh, it has been a privilege to have you here today. I just love you. I'm so <laughs> glad to see you. Thanks, Thank I, you uh, so much. I, I, we had an immediate connection the first time we met. It was pretty great. Lovely. I absolutely agree. So remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.